0: Amen. Would you pray with me and for me now? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it's you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story of Scripture begins in telling us that humanity is made in the image of God. And this comes with a lot of good to it. Primarily that humans are able to relate to God, that we can hear God speak, that we can know God's love, that we can see God at work in the world. We are made with a capacity like God so that we can be in close relationship with God. And also we are made in the image of God in a way that lets us reveal God's character to others when we act like God. But there's a danger wrapped up in being made in the image of God as well. But sometimes we confuse ourselves with the Lord. This is what happens in the garden where the serpent tells Adam and Eve the first, elect, the first effective lie that ever existed in all of creation that we know about. Did God really say that if you eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden that you cannot eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. And then he says, God doesn't, God, God doesn't really mean it. God doesn't want you to be like Him in knowledge. You're not really going to die if you eat of the fruit of that tree. And so Adam and Eve believe the lie, and they eat from the fruit of the tree because they want to be like God in their knowledge. The first act of rebellion is a response to the first lie. And that lie is rooted in who we were made to be and wanting to step beyond who God made us to be. We did not want to be under God's authority. We wanted to be like God. One of the deepest, most spiritual questions people ask about this story from Uh, from early in Genesis, is why did God put the tree in the garden that that we can't eat from? And the reason it's a compelling question is, is because of the question we don't want to ask, which is, why can't we just obey? Why can't we just not eat from the tree and trust the Lord? Trust the Lord who's made everything else for us to eat everything to enjoy, who's put us in dominion over all of the animals, when all of the world is at peace, when Adam and Eve are perfectly matched for one another, why can't they obey? Why not? Because we confuse ourselves with God. Because we don't like authority when we're under it. And we love authority when we have it. Because we're not suited to be in God's position, though we long for. It. Yesterday at the shower as we were finishing up, um, I was carrying some of, the, some of the wonderful gifts that had been given to us back to the house. And I went into the backyard and I opened the gate and my hands were kind of full, so I left the gate open, thinking I'd be able to manage the dogs as I went in and not let them out. Of course, I wouldn't be telling this story if it had gone that way. So they get out, and I'm able to get uh, Reuben, the lab, to come back. He's a little more amenable to commands. I just, told, I just opened the door of the car, and I said, you want to go for a ride? And he jumped right in. He's very compliant most of the time, especially if he thinks he's going somewhere fun. But our other dog, the Airedale Terrier, Bonnie, is not as compliant. She's a little bit stubborn. And so as she got out, she ran about 30 yards from me, and she stopped, and she looked back. And I got about 15 yards from her. I said, Bonnie, come here. And she took off about 30 more yards. And she did that all the way across the tracks and on up uh, the road, down the tracks, up to a house. Every 30 yards, she'd stop. She'd look back at me. And then out of sheer delight to not do what I asked her to do, she'd run a little bit further, right? A spirit of rebellion, and I was frustrated. I wanted to say goodbye to the people who were at the shower. I didn't want to be running around. And the clothes I was dressed for, chasing after a dog, it was getting, getting a little bit hot. But what really made me mad was not those things. If I had needed for some other reason to walk over there, I wouldn't have been frustrated. You know what, what, what really frustrated me? That she was disobeying me. And I know what some of you are thinking, Chad, you have no idea what's coming in a month. Even creatures other than humans seem to have this spirit of rebellion. When someone else has authority over us, when someone else can tell us what to do, we don't want to do it. Sometimes just because they told us. There are times where you might be excited about something, and if the wrong person tells you you should do it, you might not do it. I know that because I do that sometimes. And we also sometimes have a spirit of dominance, that we want to rule over other people, that we have no right to rule over them. But as long as we're in charge, it feels good. We've seen this play out some in conversations we've had in our culture over the last few months. One of these that we've framed inappropriately is speaking about things with the coronavirus in terms of faith over fear. And some of that is important. We need to be faithful. But it's not entirely about faith or fear. And you can tell this because the folks who want to talk about God's protection oftentimes want to talk about how God will protect them from the virus, but don't want to think that God could protect them from the vaccine in the same way. In some sense, we just don't want to be told what to do. And in another sense... Other people would very much like to tell others what to do. And it's not so much rooted in what would be good policy or whatever else. They're just frustrated that other people haven't done what they have done and they want to make everybody else get on board. And in as much as those things drive us, in as much as just a spirit of rebellion drives us, in as much as just a spirit of domination drives us, we are getting out of step with who God has made us To be. So we can talk about the policy and find a way to find the best policy there. I'm not saying saying what I think that ought to be. What I'm saying is, in as much as we get a little bit prickly when other people tell us what to do, or in as much as we get excited about the prospect of telling other people what to do, we are probably living outside of who God has made us to be. God is inviting us in this passage today. To imagine the world differently than just us over others or others over us. And this text, there are some simple ways that we could look at it today. Uh, One is to say, well, none of us here, as far as I know, have any slaves. None of us here, as far as I know, are slaves, so probably don't have to pay much attention to it. Or we could say, kids, obey your parents, parents, be nice to your kids go on about our day, right? We sort of know what these things mean. So that's one thing, just kind of a simplistic look at the text. And another thing that we could do is make it a case lesson. This would be an appropriate thing to do, to point out how uh, during the times of slavery in the United States where the, do- the dominant religion was Protestant Christianity, there were regularly times where preachers would be brought in to preach to slaves And this was one of the texts, among others, about slavery that were regularly preached very narrowly. Just this one part about the slaves. Leave out that part at the end about the slave masters. Just focus on how the slaves should be obedient and always doing the right thing, whether or not the masters were paying attention. And this way, the text gets exploited and becomes a further way for slave masters to dominate they're slaves. And this happens not just in this situation, but in a lot of others where we pick and choose which parts of Scripture we want to really take as authoritative. So we could do that. We could talk about all of that today. But I think what we really need to do is to look a little bit closer at the way that this text functions in the whole letter that we've been reading together through the summer and even part of the spring, where we are invited as Christians, as the church in community with one another knit together as members of the body of Christ, with Christ as our head, to see our world in the full light of the gospel. That Jesus is gathering everything up, everything in heaven and on earth into himself, that the church in its rich diversity is testifying to the glory of God, even to the heavenly places and that in Christ, we find one Lord. In Christ, we receive one baptism. In Christ, we are united in one faith. In Jesus, who is Lord of all. This gets said in this passage by at the very end, where we're reminded that slaves and masters have the same master. The one who's in the heavenly places and shows no partiality. As Paul talks, he says to the slaves, don't be pleasers of men. Don't only worry about what other people think of you. Instead, do the will of God. This is what you should be concerned about. Doing the will of God. And when we begin to see the world this way, as he continues, he 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 does address the, the the slave masters directly, and he offers them a radically reorienting commandment. That as they deal with people who are under their authority, they should remember that they have the same master, a master who doesn't see distinctions between slaves and free, who doesn't see distinctions between Gentiles and Jews, a a master who does not see a distinction between men and women when it comes to his kingdom and their value in it. And what sort of master is that one? We talked about it last week when we talked about husbands and wives, that that master is the kind who gives up his life for his servant. He's the kind of master that at his last meal, the most important meal he will ever share with his disciples, he gets up from the table and he takes off his robe and he wraps a towel around his waist and he takes the position of his servant and he washes the disciples' feet. That's the kind of master that all of us are under. It's the kind of person when we are placed in positions of authority that we are invited to be. And we're invited to see all of the world in light of this basic reality that Christ is the head of the church, that Christ is the head over everything and all of the world has become His footstool. And when we start to see the world like that, we can begin to be faithful to the Lord in any station. We can be faithful in the Lord, in the commandments of the Lord, whether we are children or whether we are parents whether we are husbands or whether we are wives, whether we are slaves or whether we are free. Because each of these times, the commandment is to be faithful in the Lord. As he talks to children, he says, obey your parents. This is the first commandment that comes with a promise. And he points us all the way back to Exodus when the Ten Commandments are given. And this is the Fifth Commandment. And he says, children, obey your parents. Uh, for if you do, your life will be long in the land. And I love what one of the church fathers says about this. He says, obviously there are children who don't, who don't obey their parents and live for a long time. And there are some, some children who are very obedient and their lives turn out to be short. But this commandment is intended for the people of Israel as they go into the promised land, that if they're able to live faithfully from generation to generation, following the commandments of God, their lives will be long in the land that God has promised to them. Children, obey your parents. As he says this, he gives them an authority other than their parents that he appeals to, the law of Moses. Obey your parents. And then he gives these instructions to parents. Instruct them in the things of the Lord. Discipline them according to the Lord. Disciple them in the law of the Lord that they might come to know their true master and not need you any longer. Parents, disciple your kids. And don't do things simply out of your authority for them. Don't don't do things that just anger them or frustrate them simply because you can and you're in authority over them. Do things that bring them closer to God. When they disobey you, don't discipline them just because what they did made you mad and you want to dominate them. Offer them discipline that brings them nearer to God. They can know their place in the world with God as their head. This is what parents are called to do. All of it finds itself under the headship of Jesus. And then, when he talks about slaves, it works the same way. Slaves, obey your masters. But not because your masters are your ultimate authority. Obey your masters in the Lord. Work for the Lord. Work for them. Work for Him, not for them. In every way that you can, labor for the Lord, and know that whether or not the person over you appreciates your work, or values you, the Lord sees it and knows it and will reward you. You can be faithful in this world because of the inheritance that is coming in the world to come. It doesn't make it appropriate for the masters to treat you poorly? It does give you a chance to be faithful in any station. So I wonder today in what ways you bristle at authority. Wonder in what ways you get mad just because you don't want anyone to tell you what to do. Many of you know I'm a Duke basketball fan. And as a Duke basketball fan, I happen to think that Coach Krzyzewski is the greatest basketball coach who's ever lived. Some of you might differ with me. But it's really not arguable that he's one of the best, right? Can we agree about that? And you know what's crazy about Coach K? Is that when Duke loses, if you get on Twitter... There are a bunch of people who say that they are Duke fans who think they can coach better than Coach K. You see it with your teams too. I know you do. That when things aren't going well, everybody thinks that they know what the coach should do. I even do it sometimes. When I text Benjamin Carroll about Duke basketball, I usually say I'm not Coach K, I couldn't be Coach K, but if he'd just listen to me about substitutions, we'd probably be a better team. We have this thought. That if we could just be in the position of power for a moment, if we could be governor, if we could be president, if we could be CEO of the company that we work for, if we could be the boss for a day, we could get it right. If everybody would just do what we say, everything would be good. And this is an expression of our desire to dominate. Even if we think it's only for a short time and it's offered in humility, we think we could do it better. And we are dissatisfied with our place in the world and unable to look at what it looks like for us to be faithful right where we are. This text invites us to think about it differently. Rather than trying to reorder everything, God might be calling us to do that at some point. That might be a part of our faithful living into the Gospel. But even as we work towards that, there are ways that today... In the positions that you're in, as members of a family, as employees, as employers, you should be careful about the ways that you respond to authority. This is true spiritually as well. One of the beautiful things about this particular passage uh, is that the, the first, uh, first part of it says um, that you should obey your parents in the Lord and some of the church fathers loved to play with this, and they said, it could mean two things. It could mean what the Lord tells you to do, and that's good. But it also could mean that you should obey your spiritual fathers and mothers, the ones who have brought you up in the faith, the ones that have trained you in the ways of God. You should obey them as well. There's a spiritual component to authority that we should be aware of. Over the last couple of sermons, as we've looked at, of ephesians i've told you that it is important for us as christians to be under the spiritual authority of others i have a bishop i have a district superintendent who are over me in uh, the church hierarchy i have a covenant group that i'm a part of that can tell me what to do uh, when we talk about important things and i'm trying to discern what is faithful and i learned that from john wesley the founder of methodism Uh, One story I may have told y'all before, but I'm going to tell you again if I haven't, um, is John Wesley was a missionary to Georgia for a couple of years. He was a terrible missionary. It didn't go very well. He had a bad breakup. The whole thing was a fiasco, and he ultimately went back. But on the way, there were three other missionaries traveling with him, and they made a covenant with one another that they would not make any major decisions without the input from the other three and that they would do whatever that group decided to do. And if there was a tie, they would pray to the Lord and cast lots to decide which way it should go. They were under the authority of one another. So when it came time for John Wesley to decide to come back, he had to ask them, Guys, is it okay if I leave? This has not gone well. And if the other three people had said, No, we think the Lord is telling you to stay, he'd have had to stay. That was the covenant that he made, to be under the authority of people that he trusted, of people who believed the gospel, of people who were in similar work with him, who could help him be faithful even when he became blind to what was going on. So I wonder today if you have those people in your life, people who can speak to you, words on behalf of God that you can hear so that you can be faithful even when maybe you're wandering or when you can't see the way clearly in front of you? What does it look like for you to live in the position where you are, under authority, faithfully unto the Lord, seeking to live for his good pleasure and not for others, seeking to be obedient to the Lord in the station where you find yourself? It doesn't mean that you're stuck there forever. It doesn't mean that the systems that are in place are just that have created it. It doesn't mean that you should abide that forever. It just means that as you live in them, you shouldn't buck against them out of rebellion, out of a sense of not being wanted to told to be told what to do. It means that if you are over other people, you shouldn't do that just out of a desire to dominate them and get pleasure from having the power to say jump and people have to ask how high. Instead, all of us, every one of us are under Master, Lord, Jesus. We'll sort everything out in the end. In the meantime, we have to find ways to be faithful to Him in every station. I pray that you will find ways to do that this week. Let's pray. Lord, you know how much we don't like you know what a long part of our history it is to either rebel from the authority of others or to seek to dominate others ourselves and we pray O Lord you would deliver us from that that instead of us trying to assert our will over others we could die to ourselves we could follow Jesus all the way to the cross and offer our lives as a fragrant offering to you, as a gift to others. We pray that you would give us what we need to make sure that the gifts you have given us are being used to build up the church, to expand your kingdom, to serve and glorify you. We pray, Lord, that we could be single-minded in this. Whether we are people with a tremendous amount of power or no power at all, that we would know your power and live according to it. And as that happens, Lord, that the radical nature of your gospel that puts the most powerful men in the world and the least powerful people and most vulnerable people in the world under the same master, that we begin to live differently. That we would know what it is to be under the care of Jesus who's given his life for us so that we could give our lives for others in his name. We pray this in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen.